everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Inspired Adventure Podcast. I'm your host Nick from the YouTube channel NB Adventures. The link will be in the show notes, so be sure to check it out. Also, before we get into things here today, I want to give a shout out to my audio editor Matthew who puts a lot of time into these episodes for you all. So make sure to check out his music channel, I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes. Whether you are walking, working out, doing some chores, or better yet, you're outdoors, thank you so much for tuning in to this really cool episode. Today, we are going to be talking with Digging Canuck, who is a metal detecting YouTuber from Canada with over 4,000 subscribers. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello? Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Really, really, really doing good. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Um, So am I. All right. Why don't you start us off and tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I am a retired police officer. I had to take uh, kind of of the reason that got me into metal detecting. I had to take an early retirement because of uh, vertigo. So um, after I left the police department, um, I mean, you have to understand that that's like really go, 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 very kind of a busy thing. Um, And then not being a police officer anymore, there was a lot of downtime and I had to find something to do with my downtime. I had to get a hobby and um, I came across the amazing hobby that is uh, metal detecting and treasure hunting. Wow, that's really interesting actually. What did you do when you were uh, part of the police force? Uh, I was out on patrol uh, by myself in a patrol car. I was also a, um, a scenes of crime um, officer. So and when there was a sudden death or break-ins or something like that, I would go and take um, photos of the crime scene as well as fingerprints and that sort of thing. Um, at the same time, I was also a coach officer. So I would actually um, like teach uh, the police recruits when they came out of uh, the Ontario Police College. They would ride with me for uh, about three months until they were ready to go on their own. As well as in the summer, I was a uh, a bicycle patrol officer, so I was I was really really active. So, what did you do when you were a bike patrol officer? Most of the times, we were out. Um, the 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 jurisdiction that I that I patrolled in was uh, had a lot of green space, a lot of trails, and that sort of thing. So, um, I would spend most of the time in the uh in the trails and then um when there was nothing happening in the trails i would just be out on patrol but instead of my police car i'd be on my bicycle wow that sounds like actually really relaxing it's you know what when the weather was nice it was really really good because our uniform was um shorts so we didn't have to wear the pants it was wonderful (laughs) oh nice so did you get into sort of metal detecting and treasure hunting before that or did it just start after you had to leave? I I wish, and, and, and I've said this so many times, I wish I had found the hobby a long, long time ago. But um, sadly, I did, I did discover the hobby once I had left the police department. Okay, so what do you enjoy most about metal detecting? I, I like being outside. I like meeting other people. Um, that's fun. And I to me, mostly it is about history. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that um, like keeps a tab of how many uh, 
silver coins I have or that sort of thing. Um, I really, really like finding relics. And then I like to research the relic and find the story behind the relic. Like when you think, when you think of, um, oh my gosh, like a belt buckle or, or something like that, or a bell um, or a pendant that has been in the ground for like 150, 200 years. And then you're the first person to actually touch that relic. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. My first find was actually a belt buckle and it was in my backyard. Get out. Yes, I haven't found anything cool like that since. Really? My backyard? I, I live in the in the suburbs and uh, no, my backyard was just a bunch of roofing nails and maybe some like dimes and stuff, but that was it. Yeah, mine is, it used to be an old potato farm, I think. So. Oh. Yes, yeah, so there's a bunch of nails everywhere. I think I found like, a hundred and something last year with my metal detector. <laughs> but my first ever find was actually that belt buckle as well. That is pretty cool. Um, from what I know, it can get pretty expensive in that hobby. So uh, would you like to share with us what equipment you have? Um, I currently have I currently have the Fisher F75 metal detector, um, the Fisher Pulse um, pinpointer. I have a wonderful uh, shovel from Excalibur Shovels, and um, yeah, I guess that's that's it. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to get out there. And then I also wear a um, uh, like a military web belt, and then I have on one side I have a, a trash pouch, um, which is like an ammo dump pouch, I think they call it. I use that for my trash. And then on the other side I have another pouch where I keep my uh, like my spray bottle, my pinpointer, and that sort of thing. Oh yeah. So what equipment do you need to get started? I think that for the person getting started, you should not spend a lot of money initially on your first metal detector. Get a good metal detector that uh, that works in your budget. Um, I mean, a lot of people see other people detecting and then they're like, oh, I'm going to buy this detector. You know, they spend like six, eight hundred thousands of dollars on their detector just to be like the person that they're, you know, watching on videos and that sort of thing. Um, and then they just kind of fall by the wayside. So I think that initially um, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get started, but you do need a metal detector. You need some sort of a, a digging tool. If you detect in the woods, bring the biggest shovel that you want to bring. But if you're detecting in a city park, you can't really be bringing in big shovels into a city park. So um, metal detector, shovel, um, a pinpointer is nice to have. I don't think that metal detecting has to be a hobby where you need to drop a lot of money. It's a it's a great hobby to get started in inexpensively, generally speaking. And then you can always work your way up. So I, I, I think it's something that most people uh, are able to do. I can truly speak from experience when you said you don't really need a crazy metal detector. I um, have been wanting one for a while and I re I bought one, I think near my birthday, Canadian tire, good old Canadian <laughs> tire. I saw it in the flyer. It was like 200 bucks, but it was like half price. So I went and I got it and it doesn't do anything crazy. There's no screen. There's a couple dials and stuff. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I mean, for what I need it for and for how much I use it, it beeps when there's metal. That's good enough for me. And you know what? 
I first started, my very, very first detector was also from Canadian Tire, and it was a bounty hunter. And I believe the model was a fast tracker. Like you said, it had no screens. It had one dial, or sorry, one dial on the left side, one dial on the right side, and in the middle was a little speaker. That was it. But you know what? Any, and this this has, I think this has to be stressed, is that any metal detector, any metal detector will find stuff. It will find stuff. It may not go as deep as a $1,000 detector, but it will find stuff. All you have to do is learn the, the different sounds that your detector tells you. And once you learn that, you can find stuff that the person with the $1,000 detector is finding. Absolutely. No doubt whatsoever. So what did you say your, your first ever model was? A bounty hunter. And I believe it was a fast tracker. Okay, so mine that I have is a Bounty Hunter Tracker 4. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's it's probably, yeah, it's probably like many models after my Bounty Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I got to say, ever since I got it, I've been, I've been enjoying it. Uh, it's really cool to see or even to think that when you dig something up, it's been under the ground for how long, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's it's. I mean, I get excited when I dig a um a horseshoe for crying out loud. Like it's oh, just yeah. like seriously, you know. And then not only that, but like some people, you know, some people might look down upon horseshoe, but there are many different kinds of horseshoes, and they had horseshoes for different. Like there's a winter horseshoe. It's pretty cool. I mean, and that's just a horseshoe. There's thousands of other kinds of relics that are just out there waiting to be found and for you to get excited about. It's wonderful. It is truly wonderful. So what do you do with your finds after you find them? Do you keep them? Do you give them to museums? Do you throw them away or? No, most, most of my finds um, that I don't consider trash. Um, I keep, I, I keep them all. I have, um, I have, I guess buckets full of uh, full of relics, horseshoes, and that sort of thing. Um, I gotta say that I have not been a good relic steward, like a good steward of history, um, in so far as I really, really do need to start up some sort of electrolysis um, system. I need to rig a system up because, and I learned this learned this two years after I started metal detecting is that if you dig a horseshoe or any other sort of iron kind of metallic relic and you just put it away and then you forget about it and then two years later you go you go to look at that relic it has rusted so so much it well it's continued to rust from the time that you pulled it out of the ground now because in the ground there's no oxygen in the ground so there's no rust in the ground but as soon as you pull it out, it starts rusting. And that is where um, I have I have promised myself that I am going to set up electrolysis. I'm going to take better care of my relics um, when I get them out of the ground and, and finally get them home, clean them properly and preserve them because, um, and, and I'm speaking for myself, Taking all these relics out of the ground is a wonderful thing, but if you don't preserve them, they're still going to be lost to rust or or to whatever. Why don't you explain to the listeners what electrolysis is? Um, electrolysis is a way to remove 
the rust, the oxidation that occurs uh, to metal. And what pretty much what it boils down to is um, very, very, very basically, you have a bucket, you have a bucket or um, uh, like a Tupperware thing or something like that. But uh, for my example, I'm just going to use a, a five gallon bucket that you can get at Home Depot or whatever. So you have a five gallon bucket. And then what you do is um, you place two metal rods into that bucket. Um, and that's going to be the sacrificial metal. Um, and then what you do is you have to wire a battery source. So you need some sort of electricity. And most people use a manual battery um, battery charger. That's going to be your charge or your electricity. So what you do is you put some you put some water into the bucket and then you add some uh, baking baking soda. Please don't quote me on this. And if you're going to do electrolysis and you're going to use uh, um, electricity with water, then please um, consult an expert because I'm definitely no expert. <laughs> but but after you do this, what you do is you hang your you hang your uh, horseshoe or metallic relic. So you, we're going to hang our horseshoe um, through uh, on a stick into the bath or into the water so that it is totally submerged. And then what you do is um, you put one end of the uh, the positive charge from the battery charger. You put the positive charge onto one. I now, like I said, please don't quote me on this. <laughs> But you wire it so that the positive charge is on one, either the relic or the sacrificial metal. And I might have them mixed up. So once again, um, please do your research. <laughs> and then um, the so the positive goes to one, either the relic or the sacrificial metal. And then the negative goes to the the one that you're you haven't rigged up before <laughs> so then, then you turn it on and then what the electricity does the electricity goes into your relic and then kind of, the rust just explodes out of it out of the relic um, or i guess out from the relic and goes on to the rust travels from the relic onto those pieces of sacrificial metal and then um after a certain amount of time there's no rust on your item and um and then, of course, you would have to preserve it by either putting wax on it or, or something or some spray or something, depending on, on on how you want to do it. But that, in a nutshell, not scientific by any means, is electrolysis. So basically, the short form of all that is mixing electricity and water and sacrificial metal to remove rust from your fines. Is that what it is? Exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. What is your favorite thing that you've found so far? My favorite thing was found um, two years ago. I was actually detecting in a pasture. Um, and this pasture is, it's very damp. And and um, most of the items that I find there are very, very deep because they've kind of like sunken into or through the dirt. So, um I was detecting and I, I had this signal and it was kind of, it wasn't like overpowering, but I heard the signal and I knew that it was something because it just sounded good. And like I said before, this is part of learning your detector because then you learn what sounds good and what doesn't. So this signal sounded good. It was not overwhelming. So I knew it was going to be deep. So I started digging and I was way over the foot, like way over a foot down. Um, 
And then, my goodness, I pulled out this item. And the first thing I saw was an elephant. Uh, it was, um, it was well, obviously, it was a metal badge with an elephant on it. Now, I don't know about you, but elephants don't belong in Canada or anything. There's nothing that you will find that has an elephant on it in Canada. I mean, we have the beaver, right? Yeah, so and like I, moose and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I knew right away that this had to be something special. So I started cleaning it off. And um, in Roman numerals, there was uh, an X on one side, and then the other side had an I and an X. So 19, or yeah, 19. Um, so anyways, I was cleaning it up and, and it was, it was quite, quite obvious that this was old. So like I said, it was a badge. Um, so anyways, um, when I got home and I did some research, I was able to find that this was a very old British cavalry badge from the late 1700s, 1798, uh, to be exact. So anyways, um, we talked earlier about hit, about researching and history. So after I started researching um, the history of this badge, I learned that it was a, um, a British cavalry unit who fought in this battle. And the name of the place was on top, was actually written on the badge. It was Assay, A-S-S-A-Y-E. Um, fought in the Battle of Assay, which happened in India in 1798. Now, oh my I, goodness. I know, I know. So like, how did this get here? Well, uh, more research. And I learned that this cavalry unit after fighting in India actually came to Canada to fight on behalf of the British in the war of 1812. Now That's this crazy, this even gets crazier because um, we have in, in my city, we have uh, some very, very historical sites. We have the battle site over in Stony Creek. And as well, we've had uh, British uh, and Canadian troop encampments um, along the um, Burlington Heights, which is between Hamilton and Burlington. So anyways, um, I was able to learn and that a, a horse rider, so so they, they used to send messages from the battlefield to the troops who were, who were, um, I guess, camping by horse. So apparently this guy on horseback, I guess he rode through this pasture and somehow, I guess the badge fell off only to be found by me all these years later. Um, I actually got to say, I had a collector offer me a lot of money for this badge um, but I thought, you know what, if he's willing to offer me that kind of money, I know it's really, really important. And I think I should hold on to it. So I still have it in my collection. That is incredible. Wow. Yeah, that's like I said, uh, the, I mean, 1798, like we're talking like over 200 years. This badge fell because, I mean, the Battle of Eight or the War of 1812 is, you know, we know for sure it happened in 1812. Um and, and there, 200, well, more than 200 years later, um, I find this bat. Well, first of all, I walked over it. That to me is incredible that I actually, like out of this big pasture, I walked over this badge. And then not only that, but I kept digging and digging and digging. You know, I could have easily given up on that. Um, after you get to a foot, you know, you, you think oh, there's, I'm never going to find it. But I kept at it. I found it. And then I was the one to hold this. 
after this guy dropped it on a horse. It, I, it's incredible. Yeah, that's that's really crazy. And the fact that you would be able to like research to find like exactly where it came from and stuff, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, I and and you know what? And that that is what keeps me going. Yeah, that would, that would keep me going too if I found something <laughs> like that. So, yeah. is there a specific like etiquette or like a written set of rules for metal detecting? What does it consist of? Um, yes, uh, there there is actually called uh, something called the code of ethics, um, and it has a bunch of little rules that are, are suggestions, I guess, that um, every metal detector should follow. Um, one of them is that you never you never detect somewhere without permission. So you would never go onto private property and detect there. Um, you always, always, and when you dig a hole, you have to cover up the hole and you have to make it look like nobody was there. So after you dig a hole, like if specifically, especially if you're in a park and you dig a hole, when you're done, no one should be able to walk by there and say, oh my goodness, here's a hole. Um, you, you need to cover up your holes. If you find any trash in your hole, which most of your holes, <laughs> I would say that you do, you have to take that trash with you. You can't just put it back in the hole, cover up the hole. Um, you have to be responsible for any sort of trash that you dig. And not only that, but when you leave the place, you have to leave the place cleaner than it was. Are there laws about metal detecting? Yeah, actually a lot of... Um, a lot of places in, um, I, I'm going to talk about Ontario because that's where I am. You can, you can metal detect in parks, city parks, uh, schools, and that sort of thing. There's, there's no law against that. But we do have some parks that are designated as um, uh, historic. They have their historic designations and, you know, the, the plaque and that sort of thing. So you yeah. cannot you cannot detect there um, like the battlefield that we have in Stony Creek. That that park is off limits. Dundurn Park is off limits. You you should not be detecting there. Now, there are cities. I think that Brantford is one of them. Um, there's no metal detecting allowed. Um, the city of Windsor, I believe, had a permit system. Um, but then that got taken away, and now the local metal detecting uh, community and clubs are trying to get that reinstated. But I, I, another thing is that, and that's why it's so important that when you when you are in a city park, like that you are able to detect in, you clean up after yourself, and you do not leave open holes or really ugly holes. You 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 clean up your holes. Take some time to pat pat the soil down and make it look really really good. Because if enough people complain, then privileges will be taken away, and there will be more and more cities that are um, designated as absolutely no metal detecting, and that would be a shame for the hobby. It certainly would be. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite outdoor activity other than metal detecting? Oh my goodness. Um, lately I've really, really enjoyed, uh, hiking on, on trails. Uh, the city that I'm in has a crazy amount of hiking trails, waterfalls and that sort of thing, which I really like before I really didn't even know about, uh, much less use. So I really, really enjoy getting out into the trails uh, early in early in the morning, not, you know, not when everybody is out there in the afternoon, but uh, I really, really enjoy hiking. And I, I, I started to make a couple of videos as well, like, you know, on the hiking trail POVs. Um, and, you know, we'll see how that goes. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I mm -hmm. really enjoy hiking as well. There's this one provincial park I go to where the whole hike's like four hours. Wow. And when you get to the top, the view is absolutely incredible. And wow. they give you like a special pin for it too when you complete it because not a lot of people do it. That is pretty cool. All right. Before we end it off here, uh, would you like to say something to our listeners to inspire them to maybe get outside and go on their own adventures? Absolutely. Um, I, I think that today, more so than, than at any other time, um, it's really, really important not only to, you know, unplug, unplug from the internet and that sort of thing, but to go outside and feel the warmth of the sun. There's just something about that. And I look forward all winter to that first day where you can actually go outside and feel the warmth of the sun on your face. I think that's something that after a long winter that everybody needs to do. And then getting outside. I, I think everybody needs to get outside. Now, nobody's saying that you have to go out and you have to run a marathon or anything like that. But even in your own neighborhood, people, we have parks, we have every city has parks. Some places have wooded areas. I think, you know, just the other day I was I was out on the trails and there was a woodpecker. And believe me, I live in the city. I live in a big city. And just to be able to go a few minutes out of where I live to and into the woods and to hear that woodpecker um, just pecking on that tree to see the birds. It just is an incredible thing. And like I said, more than any time, I think in our lifetime, it's very, very important Everybody is just so stressed. Everybody has, you know, I got to do this, got to do that, got to do that. You got to remember to set aside some time for yourself, because if you are not in a good space, if you are not feeling good about yourself and good about your environment, then nothing else is going to work. So absolutely get outside, walk, maybe walk 10 minutes from your, from your house. Just, just look around, look around, listen listen to the birds and that sort of thing. Like I said, the sunshine on your face is really, really, really important. Get out there. Maybe, maybe you're going to find, uh, maybe you're going to find a new trail. Follow that trail. Uh, take a path that you haven't done. Go into an area of your city that you haven't done or that you've never been in. Just getting out of your comfort zone, I think is very, very important. And there's just, there's so much out there. And, you know, a lot of it is free. You don't have, you don't need a membership. Getting outside, very important. Um, getting out of your comfort zone, tuning, tuning out of the internet, unplugging, that sort of thing. Very, very important. And you will be amazed at the transformation um, that will occur when you finally do just get out of there. Turn everything off. Just listen to your environment. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank you very much. I think you absolutely nailed that. Um, it has been such a pleasure uh, chatting with you today, Liz. I hope to have you again sometime. Wonderful. Um, absolutely wonderful. Had a great time. Awesome. Well, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And I will see you on the next episode.